blessing and welcome, and you can be seated. Glad you're here. Those of you online, glad you're joining us as well. Before we get started, I want to provide you with a detailed update on our ongoing missions outreach, of which we have several. And I want to start with Maui, which obviously is close to all of our hearts here on the islands. While we are planning, Lord willing, and if we're still here, to have Pastor Steve Santos and his wife Kim here on Thursday, March 7th. You might want to mark your calendars down for that. I want to apprise you of what's happening now. And to do that, I'll share with you what Pastor Steve wrote me, and I do so with the hopes that you'll continue to pray both persistently and consistently. Steve wrote me saying, Lahaina still needs Jesus. Jesus is the only answer, as always, for the trials that we are facing. The government is not the answer local, state, or feds. And throwing money at this situation won't help because there are way too many hands out needing and those stealing, I'm sure. And the government is tight-fisted and a bad throw. <laughs> it's a real mess. 13,000 lost their homes that night on August 8th with 6,000 plus still de displaced, depressed, angry, hurting people, still being temporarily housed by Red Cross and FEMA at hotels and private vacation rentals on West Maui. Many thousands more trying to figure out life on the other side of the island, and many that have left Maui and Hawaii for the mainland with promises from FEMA to pay their bills for 18 months. FEMA is destroying any future rental market for locals on West Maui by paying landlords thousands of dollars over market value so that some landlords are now dumping tenants ASAP, trying to so they can legally raise the rent with FEMA paying them exorbitant amounts of money. All good till they stop and rent has become more than anyone can afford. Example, what was already high at $3,000 a month for a small two to three bedroom home, FEMA is paying landlords eight to $9,000 a month the paperwork, the crazy rules to make even that happen are frustrating people to no end but despair. The issue of Lahaina Town. It is still a black, sad, toxic, but still dear to all of our hearts, dangerous rubbish heap that many are still fighting over where the debris is to go. The issue of our schools in Keiki are still unsettled, with kids now scattered between private schools, pop-up classrooms, and homeschooling. The issue of to work or not to work, to grieve or just drink more, 
domestic abuse already a problem, but now living in such small spaces. Again, pray for people to find Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. And from the looks of the things here, there is probably less than 1% of the community that really prays and believes in Him, and that He truly hears our prayers and desires to answer right in line with our wide road world that Jesus warned us of in these last days. For those of us who live here, most don't see it, but I believe we're experiencing an up close look at the end times that all the world will soon be living in. You just see it all closer and clearer when you are living in Lahaina or Israel. We all get a taste together when we all got a taste together when the pandemic hit a few years ago. The whole world will likely taste like again, not too far off, or localized tragedies will come first. But either way, the world is in for it. And Jesus has graciously warned us. Praise God that He waits today to fill with His Spirit and save any who will call upon the name of Jesus. There's a line from a song that I wrote years ago that always comforts me. In the still of the night, you surround me. When the world closes in, you surround me. When I call out your name, you surround me. Thank you, Jesus. So please don't give up praying for Lahaina. And pray first for people to have their hearts and eyes open to the love of our God found in Jesus. And then pray for us, Calvary Chapel Westside, and for me, that God's Word would go out clearly and powerfully and reach all who will listen. Love you, J.D. Love you, Kelly. Love you, C.C. Kaneohe. That's you. Pastor Stephen Kim. Aloha. As many of you know, we've come alongside Calvary Chapel West Side with both prayer and financial support. We've not asked for money, nor would we ever ask for money. However, we have been asked by many concerning giving directly to Calvary Chapel West Side there in Lahaina. So we've included the link to their website where you can give directly in lieu of giving it to us to give to them which actually we would prefer that you give it directly to them and not to us to give to them. <laughs> Saves us a lot of time. So uh, that link will be on the uh, PDF file on our website. And then you see it there on the screen. And those watching online may wish to take a screenshot of it. Also, uh, Steve doesn't know this yet. So Steve, if you're watching, you probably are. Sorry. Um, we're actually going to work on trying to get our social media team uh, to help you with your website, because it hasn't been updated. He's trying to get it updated. But as you might imagine, he's just spread so thin, as are everyone there at Calvary Chapel West Side. So please, please, please pray. This brings me to our ongoing Israel missions outreach and the ministry that we as a church also financially support. And this after spending a considerable amount of time researching and vetting 
This because we prayerfully and carefully searched for an established ministry whose sole goal was to get Jesus to both Jews and Arabs. So we've had a number of people inquire about this, and again we would prefer that you give directly to them instead of going through us. Like with Maui, we've never asked for money, nor would we ever ask for money. Rather, we as a church have sent money that God has already provided us. Be that as it may, I would like to at this time provide you with the contact information for you to do so. And please know that we are continuing along with you as a church to support financially the Jews and the Arabs in Israel. The ministry is one for Israel. And if you would prefer, you can reach out to our personal contact, Leah Schultz, who's the advisor to the president, using the links we're providing. By the way, if you're wondering, I did get her permission. I told her, are you sure you want me to give them your email? I think she has no idea. <laughs> so, well, she said it was okay, so I'm doing it. She was kind enough to update me on what God, through One for Israel, has done in just the last three months of 2023. So in the interest of time, here's an abbreviated report of that which only God can do, has done, is doing, all for His glory. 218,157 visitors to their Hebrew evangelistic sites with the gospel, 100 inquiries about the gospel per month, 3,846 times the Hebrew New Testament Bible was read or listened to online, 492 physical Bibles were delivered, 4,338,953 views of Hebrew YouTube content, 33,681,240 views of English YouTube content. As for the October 7th war relief, donations have been used to provide hundreds of thousands of mattresses, jackets and coats, washers and dryers, sleeping bags, blankets, cell phones, tablets, and care packages. Also, One for Israel helped relocate thousands of evacuees and completely fund a mobile school. The testimonies keep pouring in, and I'm going to take the liberty of sharing just one. An Orthodox rabbi had been meeting weekly with One for Israel staff, asking questions about the New Testament. Now, for those of you who know Judaism, that's unthinkable. So this is an Orthodox rabbi, and he's asking questions about the New Testament, Jesus, and the faith. This man eventually gave his life to Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is just one testimony of how this was meant for evil, but God has meant it for good, for the salvation of many this day.
I very much appreciate your patience with me, but two more things. The first of which has to do with our verse by verse study through the Old Testament on Thursday nights. Last week was part one of a teaching through Ezekiel chapter 38. I know you've never heard of this chapter before. (laughs) And it was titled Bible prophecy that's now happening, because this is Bible prophecy that's now happening. And this Thursday will be part two as we go through Ezekiel 39. Oh, well, Pastor J.D., why, most, most guys teach chapter 38 and 39 together. Why didn't you? Because I didn't want to. So we're going to do chapter 39 this Thursday, 7 p.m., and it's going to be part two. And we're also going to be celebrating communion at the conclusion of the Bible study, and you're all invited to join with us. That's 7 p.m. Hawaii time. Uh, for those of you online, and we would encourage you to attend either locally or virtually. Lastly, as I announced last week, Teresa's Celebration of Life will be here at the church this upcoming Saturday, February 3rd. It'll begin at 10.55 a.m., and then it will be followed by the graveside service at Mililani Memorial at 2.30 p.m. We would covet your prayers concerning this particular memorial service. Uh, I would covet your prayers as I officiate this particular memorial service. We are going to have people in this church on Saturday who have probably likely never darkened the door of a church in many, many years, if ever. And I hope you know that what we're going to do is we're going to get Jesus to people and people to Jesus. So please pray. We would covet your prayers. All right. We have two services on Sunday morning. The first, of course, is the prophecy update that we do weekly and have for years. Second service is the sermon. We're doing a verse by verse study currently through Jude. We're making progress. Uh, We started a couple weeks ago in verse one, made it through verse one. Last week we picked it up in verse 2 and made it through verse 2. So today we're going to pick it up in verse 3, and we're going to live on the edge and do two verses today, (laughs) 3 and 4. And in so doing, we're going to look at why the, and I'm choosing this wording for a reason, why the agonizing contending for the faith and the truth against those secretly creeping into the church has never been as urgent as it is now in these last days. That'll be second service, 11.15. No, that's not right, is it? You start at 10.45, right? Okay, good. You're, you're going to be here, right? <laughs> good, because if I do a cappella, not good. So uh, 10.45 is worship for the website. You can uh, join us for that. And then I uh, will probably start around 11.15-ish, heavy on the ish, uh, for second service. Okay. Those of you online that are watching by way of YouTube and Facebook, just a friendly reminder that you might want to go to the website at jdfarag.org, because there you will find the uncensored and uninterrupted entirety of today's update, as only the first part is streamed on those platforms for what I think would be deemed obvious reasons. 
Let's get to it. I need to, though I don't necessarily want to, talk with you about an urgent last day's warning concerning an immediate and very present danger, namely that of the pronounced presence of what I'll call false influencers, false influencers who have infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ. And what they've done, like never before, is confusing and deceiving of many Christians, and as such, subtly and insidiously turning them away from the one and only true Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. So much so, that their increasing popularity and undue influence has risen to the level of being yet another sign pointing to the closeness of the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. Please know that the impetus for today's update is the Epistle of Jude, which is short in length, but certainly not strength. And I'm going to borrow our text today, verses 3 and 4, and start there. Jude, writing by the Holy Spirit, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you, this is urgent, to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And here's why, verse 4. For certain men, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. Don't look at the person sitting next to you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Verse 11, woe to them, a curse upon them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Verses 14 through 19. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Stop right there. This is a Hebrew saying describing an incalculable, innumerable number of people. Do you know who they are? Us. What do you mean? That's the second coming when we come as his bride by his side, ten thousands of us at the second coming. The rapture before the seven year tribulation is when Jesus comes for us. The second coming at the end of the seven year tribulation is when Jesus comes with us ten thousands with him. Verse 15, 
to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, verse 16, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time, the last days, the end of time, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Do you get the impression that they're ungodly five times? These are sensual persons who, listen, cause divisions, not having the Spirit. I have to confess, and I would imagine that it's probably spilled out as of late from my teachings, that I've really struggled personally, greatly, with this enigma of sorts, of why some, again, influencers are saying what they're saying or not saying, and doing what they're doing or not doing. I've been unable to reconcile how it is and why it is that they're twisting and turning, even denying the Word of God and the God of the Word. And as we had finished 3 John and were approaching Jude, I, I, I know about this book. I've read it numerous times. I really love the book of Jude, but I did not, and I have to confess this, I did not really understand how perfectly timed our study verse by verse through Jude would be. Because God is using it to open up the eyes of my understanding about why what's happening today is happening today. It really reached its zenith, if I can say it like that, late 2019 actually, and of course 2020. And I was just stunned, astonished, really understatements, both words. It was, it was breathtaking, no pun intended, to hear what some of these leaders, pastors, influencers were saying. I thought I was losing my mind. Don't look at me like that. I, that's, I mean, I thought I was going insane. I thought, what, what, what am I missing here? Something doesn't quite smell right here. 
And I, and I couldn't get my mind around it. I couldn't get my hands on it. And I just didn't understand it. And I inquired of the Lord about it. Okay, I complained. Pastors don't use complained. We use lamented. It sounds so much more spiritual. Enter Jude, who by the Holy Spirit provides answers, the proverbial why behind the what of their undue and ungodly influence over gullible, vulnerable, and unsuspecting Christians. Why? Because they've crept in secretly under the radar, unaware. Can I just briefly expound on the meaning of the word ungodly? Because I think it's a misnomer. When you say ungodly, oh, you godless. I'm going to use an illustration. I've used it before. It's the best one I've got. If you've got a better one, please let me know. But you remember that the colas had the lion's share of the soda market. Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola. So now here comes another soda that wants to get in on the action. But what are they going to do to get that share of the market? They advertise their soda as, wait for it, the un-cola. Whoa, this has no cola in it. Un-cola, deeply profound, I know. I'm going somewhere, just bear with me. So this, and, they, and it worked, by the way, because all of a sudden you're going, well, this doesn't have any cola in it. Hmm. So they were able to sell 7-Up, the Uncola. It has no cola in it. Now let's take that and superimpose that onto the word ungodly. No God in it. It's without God slash cola. Again, I know it's, a, it's the best I got, but it's the ungodly, the uncola. There's no God in it. And I'm sad to report that it's as successful as the uncola advertising campaign was in that they've reached a large share of the market slash the church with their uncola. They're ungodly. And it's evidenced by the angry arrogance of the Cain's, the godless greed of the Balaams or Balaams, and the consuming covetousness of the chorus, all of which share one trait in common that of confusing, deceiving, and dividing, which in turn has the devastating effect of denying Jesus Christ, our only true sovereign and Lord. It's important to understand that when we read Jude writing about this warning, agonizing, contending for the faith, he says that they've crept in secretly, unaware, 
And what they're doing is they're getting people to deny Jesus. Well, I would never deny Jesus. Ask Peter about how that worked out for him. Now that was a little bit more overt, but it's actually very covert. Because to deny Jesus is not just limited to lewd sin, shamelessly practiced, but also unbiblical false teaching, shamelessly promoted. And what ensues is what always ensues. Jesus, the truth, is denied, even defied, vis-a-vis the false deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies. Here's the truth. Bible prophecy makes it very clear in no uncertain terms that this will increase exponentially at the time of the end. And we are at the time of the end. This is the end. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul, by the Spirit, writes, now the Spirit expressly says, that in latter times, the last days, some will depart from the faith, the faith that Jude is exhorting us to agonize and contend for, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Second Timothy chapter four, the first four verses. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Stop right there again. Notice the delineation, the appearing is the rapture. The kingdom is the second coming in the millennium. The, his appearing not his coming, because he doesn't come to the earth. He comes to take us out of the earth at the rapture, distinct from the second coming. It's his appearing. Paul writing to Timothy said, there's a crown waiting for me. I'm, 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 a, I'm a dead man walking. It's just a matter of days. And he was right. It was just a matter of days. I fought the good fight of faith and I've run the race, I finished the race, and I finished well. Now there awaits for me this crown of righteousness, and not just me, but all of those who long for His appearing. <laughs> I got a crown, man. So do you. Can't wait to see what it looks like. King's crown, the crown of righteousness because I long for, ache for, yearn for, watch for His appearing and His kingdom. So what's this charge now, Paul, to Timothy? Verse 2, preach the Word. <laughs> Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And here's why verse 3, for the time will come, that time has come, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, 
They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, myths, lies, fiction. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I know this has been a passage, a prophecy really, that we've talked about in prior updates, but I want to draw your attention to something that I think is very applicable that's here. Paul writing, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, uncola. Oh, that's not in there. Sorry. I want to make sure you're still with me. Unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying, keyword denying, its power. And from such people turn away before they get you to turn away turning the grace of God into lewdness and immorality, debauchery, sin, because that's what they're doing. And you don't even know it. And that's why I, my letter, I, I was so excited to write you a letter about the salvation that we all share in common. Oh, just basking in the, the glory of our salvation, the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Man, we're going to, I would have loved to, I wish you would have still wrote that letter. I would have loved to have read that inspired letter about what it's going to be like in eternity. How glorious would that be? But instead, he has to warn them about this, about these people. For this is the sort of people, those who creep into households, those creeps, and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now I, I had to sort of lay that foundation and I know that maybe the question is being asked, what does this look like? I, I, I need to know so I can identify this and heed this urgent last day's warning from the Word of God and the God of the Word, right? So because we have three examples provided to us by Jude, I'll expound on them with the hopes that there will be an exposing of them. And what I'm going to do is refer to them as, again, the Cain's of this world, alive and well. Balaam's of this world, alive and well. And the chorus of this world that all sadly are alive and well in the church in these last days, nay, this last hour. 
Let me start with the arrogant and angry Cains who abound. You know the account of Cain, first murder in the Bible? He murdered his brother Abel. Why would Jude use Cain as an example of these creeps who are creeping into the church secretly, turning people away and denying Jesus, our only sovereign and Lord? Because the Cains of today are assassinating and murdering the Abels of today because they're speaking the truth and contending for the faith. Cain. Let's talk about Balaam. This is one of my favorite accounts in all of God's Word. You know the account of <laughs> the donkey speaking to God speaking through the donkey to Balaam to get him to stop and change course and not curse or try to curse the Israelites. And of course, Balaam is talking back to the donkey. You know you're in trouble when you're talking. You're having a conversation with a donkey, which takes place here every week from this pulpit. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. If God can speak through a donkey, He can speak through me too. So, but why would Jude now again bring Balaam into this warning? Because what he couldn't do from without, he had to secretly slip in and do from within. What do you mean? Well, you know, when he tried to bless the Israel, or curse the Israelites, Balak was paying him big bucks to curse them. And instead what came out of his mouth was the most magnificent of all blessings upon God's people, the Israelites. And by the way, this is a fascinating study in the book of Numbers. Actually, Numbers 6 and then Numbers 22 has the, I think it's Numbers 22 through 24. The book of Numbers, right? <laughs> you hear the book of Numbers, you think, Boring, right? Nothing could be further from the truth. It's the opposite that's true. It's one of the most fascinating books in all of God's Word. And so you've got Balak, who's trying to pay a lot of money to Balaam to curse the Israelites, but he cannot. To save his life, he cannot. He's even taken to a higher vantage point. Maybe that's the problem. You need to get, there's a lot of them. They're all camped together. So now we got, a, we got all of them in view. Now curse them. And then a, a more glorious blessing comes out. And so now Balaam's not going to get his money, which he is fully given over to greed and will do anything and stop at nothing to get. Um, do you know why, by the way, just parenthetically, he could not curse the Israelites? Because in number six, we're told the numbers, you see a pattern here, the book of Numbers is about the numbers of the Israelites, the numbers of the camp to the east, the numbers of the camp to the west, the numbers of the camp to the north, and the numbers of the camp to the south, with the tabernacle right smack in the middle, John 1.14. Jesus became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. So you know what Balaam saw? 
and Balak with him? The cross. The shape of a cross. There is therefore now no condemnation, no curse for those that are in Christ. Why? Because of the finished work of the cross. He could not pronounce a curse upon them. Well now, Balaam wants his money. What's he going to do? Well, he figures out a way, the way of Balaam. We see Balaam throughout the New Testament. You'll see him in, of course, here in Jude, in the book of Revelation to the seven churches. The way of Balaam. What was the way of Balaam? He goes to Balak, urgent meeting. Balak, I figured out a way to do this. I can't curse him from without, but we can get them to bring God's curse upon them from within. How? Let's get those Medeanite and Moabite women. Let's get a lot of makeup on them and, you know, scantily clothed. And let's get them to seduce the Israelite men. And they'll commit sexual immorality and they'll also begin to worship their false gods and idols. And that will incur the wrath of God upon them. And it worked. You see where this is going? This is the way of Cain. Pardon me, the way of Balaam. He comes in and from within our own midst, gets us to do that which the gates of hell cannot do in prevailing against the church of Jesus Christ. And so here's Jude warning about the Balaams of today who are doing the same thing the same way. And then lastly, Korah. This one is so interesting. It just so happens to also be in the boring book of Numbers. This time, chapter 16. I would encourage you to, in your time in God's Word, read this account. It is so cool. I mean, here's Korah, um, covetous, consumed in his covetousness, Korah. Now there's a difference, and I don't want to take too much time because we don't have the time, but sometimes we synonymously err in making jealousy, envy, and covetousness synonymous. Jealousy is just being jealous of what somebody has. Envy is wanting what somebody has and you don't have. Covetousness takes it to a whole new level and says, I want what you have, and I'm going to take it from you, and you won't have it anymore. I will. That's what this Korah was. This is Moses' cousin. So what does he do? He announces his campaign to run for Moses' position as the leader of all of Israel. And he's got and recruited 250 of the elders of Israel, not to mention the thousands of others with them. And so they plan it out, figure it out, and then they come to Moses, and this is how they approach him. They say, Moses, you know, Man, you got a lot on your plate, bro. Mo. <laughs> That's a very loose paraphrase. You take too much upon yourself. You know, you're not the only one that God chooses and uses to lead God's people. What are we? 
So here's Moses, and he's falsely accused of pride. Like he, he wanted, he didn't apply for this job. In fact, he tried everything to get out of it. You remember the whole burning bush thing? 80 years, 40 years on the backside of the desert. Not just the desert, the backside of the desert. I won't make the comparison to any part of the island, but you get the point. For 40 years. So God approaches him, calls him, says, okay, now he's 80 years old. I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of Egypt. <laughs> yeah, no, huh? You got the wrong guy, God. I mean, I, I've only been talking to sheep for 40 years, and I've developed a speech impediment. I could not speak to your people, let alone lead them. And so, bad, you're going to have, yeah, I know. Just let me have it. You're going to have to find somebody else. And this is why it is, by the way, that replete throughout the Old Testament, you hear over and over again, so God commanded Moses to command Aaron to speak to the people. <laughs> so, I mean, anyway, my point is, is that Korah now is going to challenge him to a debate and have a, an election because he wants to take his position. So Moses, being the meekest man who ever walked the face of the earth at the time, and by the way, he did not write that, because that would then disqualify him as being the meekest man. I'm the meekest man. That's pride. <laughs> Doesn't work. Anyway, that's another topic for another time. Meek, humble. Okay. So Moses is like, okay, Korah, whatever, whatever. Let's just meet here tomorrow morning, first thing, and let's just let God decide between you and I. You want my job? Okay. If God wants you to have my job, I will gladly step down. I never wanted this in the first place. So Korah's like, yeah. The poll numbers went off the charts. Korah up here, Moses down here. We won. Morning comes. Korah comes with all of his people. And Moses just says, okay, God, what, what, what do you want to do here? I got a lot of work to do if I'm still going to be doing this. So can we just get this show on the road? So God gets this show on the road. And the earth opens up and swallows up Korah and the 250 elders, and they die on the spot. And then the people that were with Korah, voted for Korah, start complaining. So God sends a fire and torches them. And Moses and Aaron pray and intercede for them. God, please have mercy on them. I totally wouldn't have done that. I would have said, wow, God, this is cool. <laughs> Come on, you would do the same thing. And God relents. Now, if I'm Moses, and this is why I'm not, but after that whole thing, I would have said, does anybody else want my job? Now would be a good time. Speak up or forever hold your peace. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you go, Mo, bro. All right. 
So do you understand now why Jude would use Cain, Balaam, and Korah? Because they're all alive today. Because the Korahs of today, in their consuming covetousness, are rising up and campaigning against to take down those God has called and positioned for such a time as this. Now, for those of you asking the question of how any of this has anything to do with Bible prophecy, I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to take the remainder of our time and provide specific answers to this very important question. But to do that, we're going to go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. By way of a preface, I think it's incumbent upon me to establish this foundation again, upon which this urgent last day's warning is warranted. Let me say the same thing in a different way. This rises to the level of being so serious because of what's at stake here. I know this might be a, an oversimplification, but I'm going to sum it up with what I'll call the big three. Number one, pride. Number two, greed. And number three, covetousness. So what follows is one list and one chart. I haven't done one for a while. and I'm starting to, you know, get like withdrawals because, you know, I, I love charts and lists. I'm going to be doing that for all of eternity. So anyway, you're going to get your charts and your lists today. So the first is a list listing the unpopular truth that many deny, attack. And the second is a chart, which I hope by way of application will bring all of this into clearer focus. So let's get to it. Truth number one, the so-called vaccine is the deception that becomes the mark of the beast in the seven year tribulation. Revelation 13, 18 and 23, verse 23. Truth number two, politics, as it's called, is a movie script about two wings on a phoenix rising from the ashes, bringing order out of chaos. Revelation 13, 18, and 19. Truth number three, geoengineering and weather manipulation are changing the climate, climate change, and destroying the earth. Revelation 11, 18. Truth number four, we are on the cusp of the completed controlled demolition of the world's economy so as to usher in the prophesied economy known as CBDC, Revelation 13, specifically verses 16 through 18. And last but absolutely not least, truth number five, the closer the pre-tribulation rapture gets, the worse the mocking and ridiculing gets. Jude 1, 18, 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 3. Truth number one, we'll begin here. The so-called vaccine is the deception that becomes the mark of the beast in the seven-year tribulation. 
Last week I quoted Queen Maxima of the Netherlands, who spoke at the recent World Economic Forum's annual Davos Summit. I was thrilled when I received the response from our Dutch translators, Bram and Gabriella in the Netherlands, who translate all of the teachings, particularly the updates, into Dutch there in the Netherlands. Precious couple. And I want to share with you what they had to say about this. Dear Pastor J.D., we would like to give you a small update about the statement Queen Maxima of the Netherlands had made at the WEF Davos Summit, which you mentioned in your last prophecy update. Maxima was quoted as saying that a biometric digital ID is necessary, not just for financial services, but also for school, and to determine who is and is not verified as having been vaccinated. As crazy as it sounds, these statements did not make the headlines at all in the Dutch mainstream media. On social media, however, many Dutch people were very upset about the things she said, and rightfully so. One of the Dutch political parties requested a discussion with the Prime Minister in Parliament to discuss Maxima's statements. The request was dismissed by the majority in Parliament because it was, wait for it, a conspiracy theory. And Maxima was considered to be free to speak her mind. Things that make you go, hmm, as our online pastor would say. We're amazed how these things are all in the open for everyone to hear, and yet at the same time, most people just don't seem to worry about it at all. We thought you might want to know this additional information. Keep up the good work, Pastor JD. We'll keep translating your crucial updates in Dutch as long as you keep doing them. Okay. <laughs> You're going to be translating them because I'm going to keep doing them. I don't have permission to not. Until that blessed day, God bless you, your family, and your church, Bram and Gabriella Duisburg Smiths, the Netherlands. I suppose it should come as no surprise that the media will not say anything about any of this, given that they just want to keep you distracted with all the political theater and intrigue and or entertained with your newest Netflix series binge. Because if they can do that, then they're going to plot their evil behind the curtain and under the radar. Pictured here is a downloadable PDF file from the World Health Organization bearing the title Article by Article Compilation of Proposed Amendments to the International Health Regulations. Oh, I didn't even know there was an international health regulation to be amended. <laughs> Here's a quote from page 5, paragraph 2, under Article 6, Notification. Quote, Following a notification, a state party shall continue to communicate to who World Health Organization, by the most efficient means of communication available, timely, accurate, and sufficiently detailed public health information available to it on the notified event where possible, including genetic sequence data. Genetic sequence data. It gets worse. Here's another quote from page 16, paragraph 1, under Article 18, recommendations with respect to persons require, require medical examinations, review proof of vaccination, 
require vaccination, place suspect persons under public health observation, (laughs) implement quarantine or other health measures for suspect persons, implement isolation and treatment where necessary of affected persons. Implement tracing of contacts of suspect or affected persons. Refuse entry of suspect and affected persons. Refuse entry of unaffected persons to affected areas and implement exit screening and or restrictions on persons from affected areas. Before I move on to number two concerning politics, (laughs) can I just simply say what I find myself saying, it seems like every week, I'm just going to say it. You're being lied to. Do not buy the lie, 2 Thessalonians 2. You're being lied to, and it could cost you not only your life, but eternal life. There, I said it. Truth number two. Politics, as it's called, is a movie script about two wings on a phoenix, rising from the ashes, bringing order out of chaos. Just look at the back of one of your $1 bills. And this, I want to say decades, but you could arguably say this has been in the making for well nigh a hundred years, maybe a century or more. Last Thursday, the Christian Post published an article with the surprising title of Trump idolatry is a real thing and it must stop. I was taken back. I'm like, whoa, who is this guy? Well, his name is John Wesley Reed. And he asked this question, quote, if your faith is more important than your politics, which it absolutely should be, then why are you more inclined to call out an opponent on a political matter, Korah, than you are to call out your political idol when he botches the faith? Did you catch that? Good question. Reed then goes on to say, The recent viral God Sent Trump video, which we covered a couple of three weeks ago, further illustrates the way the MAGA make America great again, which is actually a satanic term in witchcraft and Satanism, achieving the highest level, the MAGA level. The MAGA movement has distorted the Christian faith into a tool for political advancement. Thankfully, many Christians have used their platforms to denounce the video as blasphemous, because it is. Truth number three. How you doing, by the way? I haven't asked you how you're doing. 
I'm sorry. How you doing? Okay. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that as I'm okay, or I was, but not anymore. Truth number three, geoengineering and weather manipulation are changing the climate. So it's all about climate change, but the, these demon-possessed conspirators are changing the climate. That, so there is climate change, but they're the one changing it. <laughs> and they're destroying the earth, as was prophesied in the book of Revelation during the uh, seven-year tribulation about God destroying those who destroy the earth. As many of you know, we went in depth into this last week when I showed photos that were sent to us by online members, literally from the uttermost parts of the earth, all over the world. They're still coming in, which we're most grateful for, by the way. This last week, one in particular stood out, and it's from Sonia Ryder, who wrote, I witnessed the formation of this particular cloud. We too in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, have the daily striations or patterns of chemtrails. However, what I've observed is that they produce various types of clouds after seeding as if they are experimenting with producing different effects for different purposes. Anyway, this one particular cloud was seeded from the ground, not above. This is also a frequent observation. Could it be an element to deceive even the elect one day soon? Thank you, Sonia Ryder. No, thank you, Sonia. Truth number four. This is a fact. We're on the cusp of the completed controlled demolition of the world's economy so as to usher in the prophesied economy, which will be a centralized bank digital, digital, bio-digital currency. This last Thursday, the 25th, Natural News published an article quoting financial analyst David Webb. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. I'm going to uh, mention something about him in a moment. But he has a dire warning of an impending financial collapse. Now, admittedly, there's never a shortage of such warnings, but this one in particular is very different for a number of reasons, not the least of which is who's warning. He said, quote, people are now seeing the end stage phenomena of a collapse which has been planned in order to take everything from everyone. He explained this end stage phenomenon are what he calls hyperfinancialization. And following this, there will be a bust and prolonged low price level. And this is what allows the public to be suppressed and put into a condition of deprivation. Does this sound like deja vu all over again? from four years ago? Well, here's why this packs and carries some weight. If you're interested, this David Webb has a free download of his eye-opening book titled The Great Taking. I have to warn you, it's a tough read, but a tough read it needs to be. And by tough read, I mean he spells it out. And at the end of the day, he leaves the reader with the decision to either dismiss it out of hand or start to understand that this is the end game and the game ends now. 
While not a Christian, he unknowingly describes verbatim exactly what the book of Revelation prophesies during the seven-year tribulation, which we are on the cusp of now. Now, I'm going to quote page 58 from his book concerning CBDCs. Again, centralized bank digital currency. Quote, CBDC means absolute control. And so if the old money system somehow collapses, new money will be provided by the central banks in the form of central bank digital currency, CBDC, the new and improved control system. Imagine, listen very carefully to this. It is chaos. You have lost everything but your smartphone. If you don't have one, don't worry, you'll be issued one. You will download an app. You will click boxes agreeing to everything. <laughs> You will become increasingly indebted with each payment you make using the CBDC you are given on your phone. You will be told what to do and what not to do from then on. You will comply if you want to eat. That's Revelation 13. Truth number five, lastly, again, certainly not least. And this was one of the hardest having to do with how the closer the pre-tribulation rapture gets, the worse the mocking and ridiculing gets, and it's getting bad. Pictured here is a January 9th YouTube video where a Benjamin Thomas joins Eric Metaxas on TBN, both of whom not just vehemently mock the pre-tribulation rapture, but single-handedly and simultaneously promote what's known as New Apostolic Reformation Theology, NAR which is a textbook case of the aforementioned doctrines of demons. Dare I say that these NAR people have crept in secretly and are denying Jesus, turning many away from Jesus and the hope of the soon return in the pre-tribulation rapture of His church by Jesus. I'm going to quote from the transcript, and I do so because Metaxas is an influencer and has garnered the trust of numerous and voluminous Christians, and worse yet, even pastors. And as Jude warned, He's denying Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord, by his teaching of a false Jesus as, wait for it, a warrior Jesus. Wait, what? If my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would fight. No, oh, he's a warrior Jesus against the deep state. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is denying Jesus. This is turning people away from the true Jesus, the only sovereign and Lord. As I quote them, I have to warn you that if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, this is going to be infuriating. I have asked the Lord, and the Lord knows my heart, <laughs> to just calm me and temper me which really takes a whole heavenly host to do. 
But I want you to take heart and be encouraged because this is a perfect example of how that the closer the pre-tribulation rapture gets, the worse this increasing mocking, ridiculing, and even blaspheming gets, precisely as we are warned by the apostles, Jude, Peter, and Paul, just to mention a few. Here are those quotes. Brace yourself, Thomas. I think it was probably where a lot of folks in the evangelical church are, which is I'd read all the Left Behind movie series. I'd, you know, certainly probably read 40 or 50 books on end times. And I was all in on the rapture theology. I was frightened and frankly armed with only my teaching from my evangelical church upbringing, which could be summarized in, yeah, things get really bad. And then one day we just get rescued. And so that was how I was brought up. That was what I was taught. So when educated, if you will, on how the world really worked, I got into fear, frankly. I mean, I thought, well, do we get rescued, you know, during the bad stuff or at the end of the bad stuff? Metaxas. You're saying that wide consensus in the evangelical world was picked up from Hal Lindsey's The Late Great Planet Earth. The Antichrist is going to come. It's going to be sick, bad, horrible. And the saints get raptured out of here. That's the kind of narrative that is not challenged very much. And that's called a pre-trib rapture. Emphasis added. You and I talked about this. And one of the downsides of that view, and I have talked about this a lot from a different perspective, but what makes a lot of Christians do is say, I don't give a darn about this world. That's not biblical, folks. You're supposed to give a darn about this world. Excuse me? <laughs> uh, if you believe it's all going to go to heck in a handbasket, this is still Metaxas, and I'm going to get raptured out of here, the memo is, so therefore don't do anything. It's all going to burn. So you know what? I'm just going to have my quiet time. I'm going to have a nice time with the Lord on Sundays. And I'm not going to do anything because I'm out of here. That is not biblical. Thomas, what I call the rescue rapture <laughs> has really taken the church and put them on the sideline. People don't, for instance, run for Congress. They don't go to school board meetings. They don't participate in society because they believe that Jesus will come at any moment and rescue them. I think that's the fruit of this rescue rapture doctrine. When you talk about bad things that happened, a lot of Christians were like, yeah, yeah, see, that's it. I told you things will get worse and they think it's a fulfillment somehow of Bible prophecy. But at the end of the day, it has taken the church out of the game. What game are you in? And that's, I'm sorry. And that's one of the reasons why we don't have great candidates running for Congress or running for president. That's one of the reasons we find ourselves in a place where Satan has taken over the seven pillars of our society, the seven mountain mandate, dominion theology, kingdom now theology, where Christians have to take dominion over education, religion, government, politics at all.
then we are shocked. We act shocked, like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? The reason it happened is the Christians were not involved. <laughs> I have to go back. Just bear with me. We're, we're almost done. Um, can I just humbly ask that you allow the Holy Spirit unfettered access to your heart and mind to discern the Spirit of what I just quoted. Because try as you may, and I am so sad to say that this doctrine of demons has secretly slipped into the church today and many are denying the true Jesus and Sovereign Lord. They've opted for this warrior Jesus. Okay, let's uh, try to wrap it up. Don't look at your watches, please. We're going to come full circle to what I'll call the prophetic application by connecting the three examples that Jude uses from the Old Testament, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Let's go through these and superimpose these examples on the truths, the five truths. There are so many more. Yeah, let's do it like this. Let's say if Cain, Balaam, and Korah were alive today, how would we expose them and discern them concerning the vaccine deception? Well, the Cain will silence anyone speaking the truth. The Balaam will sell books and ads. You have to subscribe to their videos because they, they're, they're in it for the money. The chorus, well, they follow the crowd to recruit followers by going along just to win the vote. See, a politician will say anything to get you to vote for them. How about the political theater? <laughs> Politics. Well, the Keynes are enraged with a murderous anger in their heart towards anyone who would dare say that Trump is a deceiver, and so is Netanyahu, and so are all of them, and you're being deceived. This is all a show. They are all actors following a script that we were warned about in the pages of Holy Writ. What does Balaam do? Oh, they, they just kind of covertly seduce from within. Of course, all out of greed, motivated by greed. What does Korah do? Well, he's so consumed with his election campaign and running against Moses, so he's all in on this political. In fact, I'm convinced that Korah would be the head of the new apostolic reformation. Geoengineering. <laughs> Cain. Well, he's going to slander anyone who's, who speaks the truth. Balaam, he's going to invest in the fraud, because again, he wants to make money on this thing. Korah, this is interesting. He's going to challenge the truth by strength and numbers. Notice, Korah recruited all of it, because how, how can 50,000 people be wrong? 
Easy. Jesus said, wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many go thereof, all 50,000 of them. And narrow is the road, the gate that leads to eternal life. So that, that's what Korah does, is he, he gets, he interviews in great numbers, numbers, all of the experts, experts to bolster his position. How about the economic collapse? Cain arrogantly attacks the truth, viciously. Balaam, oh, this is his baby, baby. He loves the world and the things of the world, and his treasures are laid up here in this world on earth. What does Korah do? Well, he covets the power and the prestige of popular opinion. Korah's the kind of guy that puts his fingers, see what direction the wind's going, and that's the direction he's going. Lastly, the rapture ridiculing. Cain rejects and fights the rapture truth. Isn't it interesting that they are viciously attacking the pre-tribulation rapture and not the mid or pre-wrath or post? Hmm. Methinks they doth protesteth too much. And isn't it true that the counterfeit always authenticates the genuine? So you're going to have all of the faults. That's why you don't see a counterfeit $70 bill. I mean, no point, because there's no such thing as a genuine. It's only the genuine article that's counterfeited and falsified. Um, Balaam, of course, he's going to profit from the controversy. He's going to write books and produce a movie series uh, called Still Left Behind or something. I don't know. And what's Korah going to do? Well, he's going to demand a debate. If, I, if you only knew how many times I have been, what's the right word, challenged to a debate on my position concerning the pre-tribulation rapture. Like, I'm going to debate you. No, but they want to debate. They want to contest. They want to contest, protest. So they want to call a meeting. I'm, I'm tempted sometimes to say, well, let's just meet at the tabernacle and let the Lord decide. <laughs> Can you guys video this? Get, get this on your... Anyway, but he's going to demand a debate prior to the vote. <laughs> okay, let's close. The bottom line. Would you agree with me that these people, these kings, these Balaams, these Korahs, have wreaked enough havoc in the church and would you also agree that we had better take heed to this last day's warning as the church? I pray you do. Because again, what's at stake here? We're not just talking about life and death. We're talking about eternal life and eternal torment. Heaven or hell, nothing in between. This is why we end with the gospel and the ABCs of salvation, simple way to share Jesus with people. The A is for admit or acknowledge that you've sinned. Because if you haven't sinned, then why would you be interested in a Savior? 
Romans 3.10 says there is no one righteous, not even one, save one, Jesus the Christ. And here's why Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all born sinners, which is why we must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And Romans 6.23, which is kind of the bad news packaged first with the good news. What's the bad news? Uh, The wages of sin is death. You've been sentenced to death. That's the death penalty. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is good news. That's what the word gospel means. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. Good news. That's the gospel. What debt? The death penalty, the sin debt. It's been paid by another and purchased and paid for in full and now offered to you as a gift to receive. The B central is for simply believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord This is Romans 10, 9. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And lastly, the C, call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Lastly, Romans 10, 13. And it's so simple. For me, this was over 40 years ago on a cold January night on the mainland. And I just called upon the name of the Lord and I was saved. I didn't have to do anything. He did everything. There was nothing that I could earn or pay, which is a good thing. I didn't have anything to pay with. I just prayed and asked to be saved. I fell asleep praying that prayer. And I woke up the next morning and I was a new creation in Jesus Christ. And all things had passed away and all things had become new. Today's book, God Testimony, comes from an Annie Barr who writes, Dear JD, I have been part of your online church now for four years. I am in the UK and have opened a few health hubs in the UK to help the vaccine injured and anyone who wants to take control of their own health. God is blessing this work. Please do pray for us. Anyways, during lockdown, God had my team produce hand printed cards with the ABCs of salvation inside the cards, and we distributed them to our whole neighborhood, family and friends. My dad got sent two anonymously recently. This happened four days ago. My father, who is 87, has had five vaccines, but has recently, quote, woke up. He's a Freemason, and he enjoys his fellowship meetings, as he calls them, but he has not been able to get to a meeting for months. Emoji. Anyways, I spoke to him about the end times because he started to become interested. On Thursday, he gave his life to Jesus. I, yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> I have prayed for him since I became a Christian in 1982, over 40 years. Oh, my sweet sister, we share the same spiritual birthday, because that's when I got saved, was 1982. That was a good year. 
please never give up on anyone. And I love how she ends it. He's not having any more vaccines. <laughs> Praise the Lord just for that. Capono, come on up. Why don't you stand up? Thank you so much for your patience. You're so gracious to me. I, I, I hope you know, because it's true, that I do make every effort to <laughs> shorten these updates as much as I can. But there's so much that I can't. If you only knew how much I leave out and archive, thinking, well, maybe I'll do that next week, and then it just keeps piling up. So I'm just kind of setting you up for next week's update. It's going to be four hours long, because I got all the... Thanks for your patience. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. God, oh God, who is like unto you, oh God? There is none like you. Lord, I know I shared a lot of information today. But Lord, now the Holy Spirit needs to take that information and build the bridge to the application of that information to our lives personally. What does all of this mean to us when that alarm clock goes off tomorrow morning? What does all of this mean to us even this afternoon, especially those who don't know you, have never believed in you, or called upon you. Lord, I pray for anyone who has not come to a saving knowledge of you, Jesus, that today would be the day of their salvation. They would not delay. And for those of us that have been walking with you and known you for over 40 years, Oh, Lord, we long for your appearing. So please come quickly, Maranatha, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My hope is built on nothing than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fruit, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen and amen. God bless you.